Hello and welcome to the Star Trek Academy, a weekly podcast about the latest new episode of Star Trek. This week we're looking at Season 2, Episode 1 of Star Trek Lower Decks, entitled Strange Energies. Your hosts are two of the Academy faculty members. I'm Dr. Michael Merrick. I'm the media guy. And I'm Dr. Rodney Cup. I'm the philosophy guy. And we'd like you to keep track of what we're doing here at the Star Trek Academy. And the best way to do that, we think, is to follow us on Twitter. That's at Trek underscore Academy. And we also have a website the Star Trek Academy.blogspot.com. And we've put links there where you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter and other podcast sites. And some of those sites like iTunes allow reviews. So if you don't mind, if you like what we're doing here, please give us a review and help other people uh, find us. That would be very nice. Well, Rodney, now we're back finally to weekly podcasting again after kind of a a gap in new Star Trek episodes. Yes, we are. And it looks like Lower Decks will be followed by Prodigy, and then maybe December, maybe January. Uh, I think we're looking next at Strange New Worlds, so we could have quite a few weeks in a row here that we're uh, that we're doing our, our thing on a weekly basis. Right. It's an exciting time to be a Star Trek fan, that is for sure. Were you looking forward to the new season of Lower Decks? Oh, very much so. Very much so. You know, when I first heard about Lower Decks, I was a little concerned. <laughs> but, you know, I, I really enjoyed last season. And, uh, you know, I've watched it with with my daughter and she has fun with it. I was pleasantly surprised by how good and how funny it was. So, yeah, I was definitely going to be back for season two. Absolutely. Yeah, what we, about you, Michael? We, yeah, we discovered in season one that it is Star Trek in, in terms of themes and messages and all that. It certainly is humorous also, but uh, a lot of their humor they draw from Star Trek. And uh, so, yeah, it's, you know, as, as fans, my wife and I certainly enjoy it. Well, our first order of business here is a brief description of the episode. And we know in some parts of the world, I'm not sure that it's even premiered yet. So some people may be listening without having seen the episode. We're going to try to be fairly short and sweet, but if you haven't seen the episode already, there are going to be some spoilers here. And uh, Rodney, take it away. Okay, I tried to make it short, uh, but here we go. The episode begins with Mariner working out on the holodeck, and she's not doing yoga like that Andorian Jennifer, but she's escaping from a Cardassian prison. And during this opener, she tells her Cardassian captor that she's tired of working with her mom. And she also is feeling abandoned by Boimler, who's accepted a transfer to the Titan without even saying goodbye. You might remember that from the end of season one. But anyway, when we come back from the commercial break, we find out that the Cerritos is at Apergos for a second contact. And they're almost done. They can leave when the Apergosian leader selects a subspace communication number and this is taking a while because the Apergosians have a deep relationship with numbers, the leader says. So while they're waiting, Mariner gets permission to, from Freeman to power wash some buildings. They're apparently filthy. And, and so while she's doing this, though, she somehow activates a device that strikes ransom with some strange energy. And he acquires godlike powers. He makes their moon disappear. He ruins their museum of popular music. He creates ransomites and gym equipment. And it's, it's just nuts down there at the planet's surface. There's a friendly exchange between Freeman and Mariner. 
that he overhears and it makes him so angry that his head leaves his body and it grows in size dramatically and attacks the Cerritos. Ransom's also angry because Mariner has, for all intents and purposes, replaced him as first officer and he just doesn't want to work with her. He forces Mariner and Freeman to admit to each other that they hate this new working arrangement. Freeman, in order to get him to stop attacking the ship, she praises him and that diminishes his power, but the praise makes him want to be captain and that Captain Freeman can't have. What ends this is Mariner kicking Ransom in the crotch repeatedly. Uh, He loses his godlike powers. Ta'ana follows Kirk's example and drops a boulder on him. Anyway, they return to the Cerritos and Freeman sends Mariner to the brig of course. Now, while all this is happening, Tendi is concerned about Rutherford's reinstalled cybernetic implant. You might remember that got ripped out at the end of last season. Problem now is that Rutherford likes pears, and he didn't before. So Tendi thinks maybe Rutherford has what she calls synthetic memory degradation or SMD. She worries this could eventually melt his brain. So she tries to kick his neurons back into place by shocking him. He doesn't like that. And he refuses the treatment so that he can go on a third date with Barnes. Maybe you remember her from last season. Tendi interrupts their date uh, because she feels like she needs to remove his brain from his skull. But Rutherford doesn't like that either. She eventually admits that he doesn't have SMD. She's only worried that he'll change his opinion about her like he did about the pears. And Rutherford says, look, that's not going to happen. No cybernetic implant is going to make me stop being your friend. So in the end, she just tinkers with one of his synaptic pathways and he's back to hating pears again. And as the episode ends, we get a a brief uh, scene in the Titan, which is being pursued by these pack-led battle harpies uh, as it's entering a spatial anomaly. And Boimler does not appear to be enjoying himself at all. And that's the episode. Not at all. Not at all. So uh, thank you for that summary. Um, The way we do things in this podcast, if you haven't listened before, is first we talk about some of the interesting individual elements. And then in a bit, we'll talk about really what lessons the writers want us to get out of uh, the the story, the the messages and the morals to the story in that. So uh, first, we will look at some of the individual elements. Yeah, and a lot of these things have been mentioned online. To any Star Trek fan, they're they're pretty obvious. Mariner's holodeck program at the beginning, it resembles the Cardassians we saw in the Next Generation episode, Chain of Command, with Picard's interrogation and torture. Uh, Hologram Boimler is there saying, you know, they keep showing me lights. There's also talk, of course, about the similarity between a ransom and his godlike powers and Gary Mitchell and his godlike powers in the first season original series episode. And, uh, you know, there's also the similarity between ransom's gigantic head there in space, biting down on the Cerritos and Apollo's giant green hand clutching the enterprise in the original series episode, who mourns for Adonis. Um, these have been widely pointed out. 
You mentioned godlike powers, and uh, in case people aren't familiar, we're going to use the term again, I think. There is a term called Yagla. It's a fan term uh, for yet another godlike alien. And it was coined originally just because it seems like pretty often in Star Trek scripts, you, uh, you find someone who has these extraordinary powers. So when you hear us refer to Yagla, that's what we're talking about. Right. One of the first things I noticed, uh, Rodney, was that I think they've completely redone the opening credits. Uh, the scenes are basically the same, but there are differences. The Cerritos is not as dark, and it has a lot more detail than, than last season. Now, given that this is computer animation, I'm not sure that the, 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 the artists needed to start from the beginning, but one way or the other, they have redone many of these elements at the fairly uh, subtle level. Although, mm -hmm. at the scene uh, in the opening credits with the Borg, it was all strange right. to me that all of the other ships there were Romulan, plus the Cerritos, but now in this new version, there are other ships of other species, or at least a couple of Klingon birds of prey, and some other ships I'm not completely sure about. Right, that, that's the only difference I noticed, actually, Michael. Um, I, th there was one reviewer, though, who claimed that there's a pack-led ship or two there. That could be. I'm, I'm still getting used to recognizing what the pack-led ships look like, but I think just right. all the way through, they've increased the resolution. In some cases, they've increased the brightness, and in some cases, they've, they've just changed the approach on the Cerritos. Like I said, it's much lighter rather than a really dark gray, not quite black, but dark gray. It is the lighter gray that we more expect from, from Starfleet ships. In some cases, some lighting that was on the old ship aren't there on the new one, on the new, the new interpretation of it. And in some cases, there's more or brighter lighting uh, on, on the new version. So also speaking of visual portrayals, and this is a really subtle point, but I, I noticed it and I was kind of impressed showing that it goes beyond just, you know, cheap animation. Uh, when the people are like Mariner and the others are on the square down on the planet, they all have shadows which, you know, you wouldn't have had to have, but uh, it's, a, it's a subtle thing. But uh, I was impressed at that, at that detail added by the, um, the animators. Very nice. A couple other things. Uh, did you note what Admiral Freeman called Captain Freeman? The, you know, they're, they're married. What, what nickname or pet name he used? I did. Carol Bear. And that was just interesting to me, given, I mean, you know, the Cerritos and, and, and all of the ships of that class and all of the shuttles all have California references in their names. I just thought the Carol Bear was, uh, was kind of an interesting, um, an interesting reference. So the, the bear, there's a bear on California's state flag, right? Yeah, it's like, I don't know, right. the state animal or Californians in the audience can let us know in details, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, the the bear is on the state flag, and it's uh, iconography that is connected with the with the state. Certainly, uh, in Mariner's hologram, we see a starship, the uh, NCC one eight seven seven, and I don't believe that this is a ship that's been seen on the screen before. But one eight seven seven, the Reliant from the Wrath of Khan, was one eight six four suggesting that at least they might be sister ships. The Reliant was a Miranda class. Right. And I believe, I'm not sure it's been on screen, but at least in fandom, 
there's a variant of the Miranda class called the Avenger class. But it was kind of kind of fun seeing at least a ship very similar to the Reliant from the Wrath of Khan. Yeah, um, that's what I thought when I saw it. Yeah. It, it reminded me of um, the Reliant, definitely. Exactly, yep. Something I wanted to mention, uh, you know, Lower Decks makes tons of references to previous Star Trek, right? Well, now they're making references to themselves. There's a brief scene there when Rutherford tells Tendi and Mariner that he's going on his third date with Barnes. Mariner says, she's crazy, hot, are you nervous? And then she says, wait, that sounds familiar because that's exactly what she said last season about Barnes in the season opener. Yep, yes. Um, so now they're referencing themselves, which yep. is kind yes, of amusing. Yes. Yes, indeed. Just a few more kind of kind of miscellaneous things. But uh, uh, when Mariner at the end of the episode was in the brig, and you didn't mention that in, in your summary, but she ends the episode in the brig talking to Rutherford and, and Tendi. Did you notice the graffiti on the wall? There's graffiti there and it, it kind of looks like a like a castle. And if you look carefully, it's kind of small, you have to look carefully. The words say Mariner's HQ. And there are two check marks indicating maybe how many times she's been there. I don't know. You think they have a, a brig especially made for her, probably. Who knows? I mean, we know from last season she enjoys being in the brig right. for whatever reason. Another thing was the logo of the bar. And I don't remember if we saw this last season or not, but there's a scene where we see the logo of the bar in Cerritos. And it's the Starfleet logo but it has what to me looks like a swizzle stick with two olives sticking out of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like I said, it may have been there last season. I don't recall noticing it. I think it was. I'm going to have to go back and check on that though. I think it was there. It's kind kind of cute. You have to look at it twice to see the swizzle stick and the olives rather than (laughs) just a a line and some circles. But uh, so that, that, you know, that was interesting. Another reference to past Star Trek, uh, Stevens, well, obviously has feelings for Ransom, we're seeing now, reads him as Ransom recuperates in sickbay, reads him Nightingale Woman, which again goes back to where No Man Has Gone Before, the, the mm-hmm. second pilot of Star Trek where we met Gary Mitchell and that. Nightingale Woman is described as a love sonnet called one of the most passionate love sonnets of the past couple of centuries. In Star Trek continuity, it was written around 1996 on a planet orbiting Canopus. Right. That's a 25-year-old sonnet now. Okay. For them, yeah. <laughs> um, kind of concluding this section here, there's one thing that to me seems like a big plot hole in this episode. And in a comedy animated series, you wonder if we need to worry about plot holes. But usually the stories, separate from the comedy, do stick together pretty well. And I see a plot hole in that cleaning the buildings down on the planet Mm -hmm. sets off this huge, strange energy, which presumably had been powered down because it was covered with dirt, right? But what I'm wondering is why was it there to begin with? it, It appears that the ancestors created it, and once the dirt was removed, it powered up. But why would they build something to create yagla powers in random people on the planet i i don't quite get that or did mariner's cleaning spray somehow short circuit or change it from what was originally designed to do i you know that right it it was the event that triggered everything else in the episode 
mm-hmm. but I didn't quite click on why it happened to begin with. You know, at first I thought it was sunlight or starlight, I guess, yeah. uh, striking it and activating it. But but maybe it was, um, you know, Mariner's cleaning rifle that did I it. Don't, I don't know. It wouldn't have taken more than a sentence or so to put some kind of rationale on that. So to me, that was kind of a plot hole. But I live with it and uh, it empowers the rest of the episode. Hey, Michael, have you ever seen a Mystery Science Theater 3000? I believe I have from time it's to just time. just reminded me, you know, in the theme, the opening theme, they say, uh, you know, you're wondering how he eats and breathes and other science facts. Just repeat to yourself, it's just a show. I should really just relax. Maybe that's what we should do here. When it comes to Star Trek, I can't do that. <laughs> I, I, right. <laughs> a, a large part of the attraction of Star Trek to me, as certainly is the stories and the morals to the story, but a large part of it for years has been how well the continuity connects together. And yeah, we've so, talked about this before, yeah. and particularly with Discovery. I, I just, I, it's hard for me to suspend disbelief if the science, if there, if, if it seems, seems too magical and not sciencey enough. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I, anyway. I, I get it. But, but, you know, in, in, in all of that, I can watch an episode or a movie and say, well, I wish they'd done differently. But that doesn't stop me from appreciating it. And I certainly do appreciate Lower Decks. Absolutely. So meanings, morals, messages. So reflecting on our previous conversations uh, about Lower Decks, I predicted that you would be talking about leadership here. And yeah, I'm gonna a little bit here. I think there are several facets to this episode that relate to leadership and management. There, there aren't big picture morals to the story here, but there are there are several things. I think the name of the episode, Strange Energies, I mean, obviously they use the term in reference to what was coming out of the, the obelisk that caused uh, Random's Yagla powers. But I think it also applies to the relationships in this story, if you will, the relationship energy family relationships, working with your mom from Mariner's perspective. There are plenty of businesses and organizations that have have parent-child partnerships and otherwise multi-generational settings. And sometimes they work fine, other times they don't. And so we're seeing that among the different relationships here. Tendy's worried about losing Rutherford as a friend, at least that's what she says. So she goes off on on a strange tangent, a strange energy, you might say. You know, I, that's a great point. I didn't see that. And there is something strange going on between them. I, I think it's pretty clear. Uh, she tells him, uh, Rutherford that is, that she shouldn't not to date Barnes. And I just, I, I think they have romantic feelings for each other. But they aren't right? admitting it to themselves? Well, maybe not to themselves, certainly not to each other. Uh, so, you know, I, I eventually maybe, but it's it's a big sort of open secret between them now, I suppose. Well, and, and in Lower Decks, the, you know, we saw last season, the, the story arc was not so much about the primary events of the episode, but about the relationships as they played out. So I think we're probably gonna be seeing that again here. Speaking of Mariner and her mother, we discover fairly early that neither of them really enjoys working with each other, but each one is doing it to please the other. In the hologram at the beginning of the episode, Beckett says, from her perception, how much your mother likes it. It's no surprise to us as the audience that the two of them 
aren't really happy being so close. And remember that Ransom can read minds now that he has Yagla powers. And so he clearly sees that too, which aggravates him. Rodney, have you ever heard of the Abilene Paradox? No, I haven't. It's a management exercise. It comes from a book written by a man named Jerry B. Harvey. And I'm not not going to go into all the details, but it's about some family members who all agree to do something, actually take a trip to Abilene to have have dinner on a super hot, dusty day. They agree to do something because they think all the others want to, but in reality, not a single one of them wants to do it. <laughs> and so it's it's a it's an object lesson, and you know, for discussion and management classes and things, it's an object lesson about groupthink, and right. and the lesson is to make sure that leaders can find safe ways, but find ways to ensure that people aren't really aren't hiding their feelings or just are just agreeing to something because that's what the boss wants. And I think that is what's happening here to both Mariner and Freeman. They each are continuing this version of their relationship that neither of them really wants. And, you know, on top of that, Mariner has a strange energy there too. She's missing Boimler, but she's mm-hmm. also mad at him for for, right. for leaving, in particular for leaving without saying anything. So that's a that's yeah. a strange energy there also. Another thing I noticed, um, everyone has probably heard about the law of unintended consequences. Well, Beckett made a fairly well-meaning attempt to get the locals to beautify their city, and it went just way off the boards. She wouldn't have had any reason to believe that there was a Yagla creating gizmo under the grime, so it's not something right. that more planning could probably have uh, have forestalled. But what she originally planned to accomplish, that is to say cleaning buildings, was accomplished. But the unintended consequence was <laughs> the opposite of what she really intended. For example, right. I doubt the people on that planet are ever going to want to clean their buildings again. <laughs> right. Who knows what else is underneath the grime? Yeah, that was not a good experience for them. You remember at, at, at the end, the leader says uh, something to the effect of, all right, we'll take we'll take this communication frequency. Just go. Just, just leave. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you know, I'm also reminded of there's a proverb that almost I'm sure everyone has heard: "Absolute power corrupts absolutely." It was originally the first hmm. time it ever appears in print or anything was way was hundreds of years ago. It was a reference to corruption among monarchs. But we've seen this theme a lot of times in Star Trek. Certainly Gary Mitchell, who was referred to in this episode. Right. And this proverb, they actually, it was actually quoted right at the end of uh, Patterns of Force, I believe, to refer to Hitler. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Or or to to Nazism, yeah. Um, Q, who, I mean, Q often was a little bit well-meaning, at least, but he also often lets his power lead him into being a bad actor. Remember the Dowd from an early Next Generation episode? He removed an entire species from the entire timeline, just caused them to to never exist. And then he came to regret it. You had the Platonians in Plato's Stepchildren. Right. The god imposter at the center of the galaxy in Star Trek V. Trelane. Mm -hmm. His parents didn't seem too bad, but we didn't really get to know them too well. It's rare in Star Trek that a Yagla, a godlike alien, or someone who temporarily acquires powers like that, have been fully benevolent. The Organians are an exception. 
but in this episode, Rand, Random pretty quickly checks his ethics at the door when he acquires these these powers, and so the the other characters have to turn around and figure out how to solve the problem. Yeah, maybe the Metrons from uh, Arena, although they did offer to kill the Gorns for Kirk. Yeah, which is and, very nice. Well, yeah. Um, so I I wouldn't say that they were fully benevolent there either. No, I guess not. But anyway, given this situation, the uh, the other characters have to figure out how to how to solve it, and what Captain Freeman ends up doing to a certain extent temporarily was solving the ransom problem with praise. It right. was largely it was Ransom's ego that turned him into uh, if you will a monster, but we know it was aggravated by knowing that neither Mariner or Freeman wanted to be working together as closely as they were, but essentially not being honest about it. And of course, that also, as you said in the summary, in effect, kind of lessened Ransom's job as as first officer. But again, I see a management lesson here. Mm -hmm. And good managers show appreciation for the work of their subordinates. And it works best when it's really honest appreciation, not just saying the words, good work, you know, but but an honest expression of appreciation and, and, and thanks. And really, for a period of time here, Freeman has not been giving that kind of feedback to Ransom. Apparently, she's been largely ignoring him. Uh, of course, then she went overboard in trying to save the ship and all that, too. So uh, she only went so far with the, with the good management principle. You know, I, I have to agree with you. I mean, I, I feel like we probably all had a work situation in which we didn't feel like we were appreciated. But, you know, when I was watching this, I, I was thinking it made me think of male fragility, you know, Ransom's need for validation. And it reminded me of uh, season four of one of my other favorite shows, The Good Place, where this character Brent Norwalk expects everyone around him to respect him and admire him and give him complos or compliments as he puts it. And he's just completely devastated when they, when they don't do that. Now, the difference of course, between Ransom and Brent Norwalk is that Ransom really does deserve a lot of praise and, and Brent doesn't, but, but that's what I thought of when I was watching this, this problem of, of uh, the fragile male ego. I mean, there are things about Ransom that probably don't deserve praise, but but <laughs> he's largely a good first officer, yeah. and we've seen him be braver than one might expect and all that, and I think in some ways he's a parody of Riker. Um, right, but, yeah. Uh, but so, yeah, okay, good point. So kind of some final thoughts here. We talked about some of the things here that bring meaning to the episode, but none of them is really a clearly overwhelming moral to the story. And you might not expect that in a first episode of the season, but there are some things that happen here, particularly among the characters, but other things too, that do seem to be setting up future episodes. I mean, the Packlids are back and that suggests that maybe they're going to be, if you will, the big bad this season, that maybe right. they're going to be returning as an antagonist. That, um, that was exactly my thoughts. And who would have predicted the Packlids <laughs> being the big bad? Yeah. That's just crazy. <laughs> Mariner says at one point that the crew is not supposed to have personality conflicts. That's probably right. a reference to Gene Roddenberry's original guidance to the script writers. He wanted the main characters to be professionals and work with each other professionally rather than backstabbing and things. But, but we do see some conflicting attitudes in this episode, or at least mixed feelings. And it wouldn't surprise me if they play out more in future episodes. 
Right. I expect to see uh, Mariner and Jennifer getting into a fist fight. For example, Mariner got into a fist fight with Boimler's last girlfriend last season. You remember? Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> right. One thing that disappointed me about this episode, I, you know, at the end of the last season, I was kind of expecting that that there was sort of a fundamental difference, and that that they would explore this special arrangement between Freeman and Mariner, maybe for the entire season. And I was kind of disappointed that it ended so soon. I was hoping they would uh, explore this unstoppable mommy-daughter team a bit longer. Oh, well. Freeman does say she's proud of her daughter. And I, and I think that was, a, that was an honest statement there. But there are some places she just can't go as a starship captain. And in some cases, that may be because of her official requirements of the job. But in some cases, I mean, we know that Captain Freeman has an ego of her own also. I note that she more or less lied to her husband, the Admiral, not wanting to admit, admit that there are any problems going on. And it's also kind of interesting. He said to Captain Freeman that she got a lot of attention for the way she solved the Packlid situation, which we saw in the season finale last right. year. But if you remember, she was completely out of ideas. That's she right. had to get Mariner to think outside the box. You know? This is like the most complicated captain quote unquote, first officer, <laughs> but not really a relationship in all of Trek, isn't it? Yeah. And I think part of that is just modern storytelling. Most of the earlier versions of Star Trek were quite episodic. The characters didn't change that much from episode to episode or season to season. And now it is much more common in the television world that you see these storylines of characters developing and and changing over time and sometimes growing sometimes going other different directions and and that so i think part of that is is just acceptance of what modern television is like characters that change and relationships that change over time i'm assuming we're going to see boimler back on cerritos one of these times I don't know how many episodes in it will take, but we did get the quick glimpse of him on Titan at the very end where where he's screaming in terror. And and so the Titan is probably not living up to his expectations, you might say. Right. I, I'm wondering, I just had a thought. Do you think he might, I mean, he can't be demoted. He's an ensign, but do you think he might emulate Mariner in order to get kicked off the Titan? Remember, Mariner got kicked off the, the, the Keto and sent to the Cerritos. Uh, right. for doing her regular side mission disregarding protocol thing. I wonder if he might be inspired by that as a way of getting kicked off the Titan. I think now, didn't he do something like that in the first season? I think he ended up dropping or uh, spilling coffee in Ransom's lap. He, he thought that was it. He, he felt like he had to misbehave in order to get a promotion because that was when uh, Mariner got her promotion. I also think... In this episode, we saw more pips on on Boimler's collar. I don't think he's an ensign mm -hmm. anymore uh, when they showed him on the Titan. Well, that, I, I mean, actually, that's probably true. Maybe they did promote him to lieutenant as part of the transfer. So he could be busted back down to, to ensign. Good, good point. I'd forgotten about that. I think he'll be back on the Cerritos at the end of the next episode. If I were placing bets, that's what I would bet. No, what we'll see. Think, we'll see. Speaking of Boimler, this is a minor thing, but it kind of bothered me when they mentioned Boimler in the hallway earlier in the episode. I, I half expected them to shift to the Titan. And this is what they did at the end of the episode. You know, they're sitting there with um, Mariner 
uh, at the brig and they're talking about Boimler and Tendi says, I bet he's having the time of his life or words to those effect. And then they cut to the Titan. I have expected them to do that earlier in the episode when they mentioned him and they didn't do that. To me, it felt a little awkward. And I know they probably want to focus on Boimler in the next episode, but still it, it kind of bothered me. Like I said, it was a, a minor thing. It did serve as an effective surprise ending. True. True. Yeah. You know, they were trying to accomplish other things, I guess. And I guess overall, I, I felt a little underwhelmed by this episode. I mean, there are some pretty good laughs. I, I, I can't help myself. I, I just kept laughing as Mariner was kicking uh, Ransom in the crotch. But, but overall, this, it just didn't do a whole lot for me. I mean, what did you think, Michael? Well, you know, you might say that this second season of the series is the sophomore season. And, you know, sophomores. Uh, I, it was enjoyable. It was it was fun, largely. Maybe not as wild about the plot as I have some of the episodes. It didn't have big concepts behind it. But again, like I said, it's the first episode of the season, and uh, you know maybe just something that's largely standalone and a little bit outrageous with giant heads and things like that. You know maybe it's a good place to start the season. We'll see. Right. It was a bit transitional. Uh, they ended up kind of resetting. Freeman's and Mariner's relationship. Yeah. I think that was one yeah. maybe goal of the episode. But at this point, I think we're going to bring the proceedings to an end. We'd like to thank you for joining us this week, and we'd love to see you next week for our discussion about the next episode of Lower Decks. And uh, we understand that's entitled Kayshawn, His Eyes Open, which suggests, doesn't it, that it might have something to do with the Tamarians who we met in Darmok. Rodney and Michael on Zoom. That's a metaphor. Their mouths open. Yeah. <laughs> right. Anyway, the Star Trek Academy podcasts about every new Star Trek episode of every series. That's our reason for being. The best way to keep track of our new episodes and other announcements, again, is our Twitter feed. That's at Trek underscore Academy. You can also find us on thestartrekacademy.blogspot.com, and that site has links to several platforms where you can subscribe your podcast apps, should you wish. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next week.